Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the New Covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 297. Using the new YouTube control room and nervous about it. My name is Caleb Haig. Jamming to the song and drinking coffee today from my Trinidad Tobago or Tobago mug bought to me by my friend Brent, who lives in Trinidad. When I visited there, what? That was summer of 17. Was that summer of 17 already? Was that three years ago already? You really don't get the intro concept, do you? My name's Rob Van There Hoff. you go. <laughs> I love you, man. I'm the guy on the... Am I on the right or the left? I don't know. I think you're on, on the, the right. Screen. Yeah, there you I'm go. I'm the guy on the right. And uh, I'm on your left. <laughs> yes. So uh, everyone's still shelter in place. You know, Washington State, they, they say that Inslee is going to uh, extend this past May 5th. So my family's planning on going on vacation. <laughs> Somebody else needs to, some other, some other state will open up and we'll just. Uh, will they let you out of Tacoma? What are they going to do? I mean, come on. Block up the city. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, we got. Uh, I you know, love I, the the intro. I mean, this the talking about justification by faith. You know, it's it, it's God. I've been thinking about this lately. Mm. The way He designed our brain, our our ability to grasp and understand, and this is exemplified in language. That you can have a word which is easy to remember, and then you can have that same word in different contexts, right? And it, it'll take different meanings. Like your father will say, you know, words don't have meanings, but meaning, meaning has, has words. Words, right? Well. In the same way, so like we have this ability to zoom in on a and boil something down to a, a principle or a point, but it unpacks into this huge thing. And it, it, it reminds me of like when God created the world, he created trees and seeds, right? The fruit that with these tiny little seeds, it has the whole tree packed in it. It's like, how do you, like, 
all the scientists in the world could never like create a seed that would unpack into this giant tree that would produce fruit that would produce seeds that would then replicate that like forever. So when we think of something like just like shorthand justification by faith or doctrines of grace, right? It's easy to, to just think, I know what that means, you know, cause I can call it, I, I know what it is, but it's really a seed. Those are things I see those as seeds and they unpack in like ways that like are can shatter someone's worldview. Right. Like, like, well, that's how it functioned for the reformers, like, like particularly Luther, you know, when he, when he grasped, it's like God put that word, that, that uh, concept, particularly, I think it was from Romans, Paul's or, or uh, when Luther was reading Romans and, and Galatians, and back to that Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed in the Lord and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And it, it cracked the growth of that seed, cracked all the, the false ideas he had in his mind. And they, and they had to go, you know, and he had to start this process of sorting through stuff. And if we don't stand, if we don't spend time with the Lord, if we don't spend time in the word, then we're not like that tree of Psalm one. We're not getting nourished and therefore we're not going to grow. We're not going to produce that fruit. And then, and the simple idea of something like justification by faith won't, won't come to fruition in our life of what that actually means. I know, I know this is off script. I'm just like, I can never hear that enough. In other words, some people go, Oh, justification by faith. I've heard that before you know, or something. And I'm like, dude, like, no, you know, Oh, man. You know what's funny is that last night I was tripping out over it. So I, I, I picked <laughs> Caleb up, was tripping. <laughs> I, I picked up a book by Abraham Heschel. You oh, know which one? Do you remember the title? Yeah, of course. Wait, what is the title? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, well, his uh, famous ones are like the prophets or the Sabbath or or heavenly Torah. No, no, no. This one was uh, uh, man, uh, uh, God in search of man. No, something uh, I asked for wonder. Okay. So he's talking about uh, which <laughs> is essentially like in search of a lot of the same crossover as uh, God, uh, God in search of man. But he starts out with like awe and wonder and what these things are. Right. And like the idea that we as humans see things every day and we become numb to them. But if we think about, you know, something particular for, you know, if we just sit and, and think about it, the awe and wonder that should come from things that we take for granted every day. So I'm sitting next to the window last night, right? And I thought, I wonder how much I can break down, how much is going on with the tree across the street? So I started thinking about, okay, what does it take? You know, how long has it been here? The wind that blows the leaves, where the wind comes from, the sun that, you know, the dirt that fertilizes all the, you know, and it's like, I, I, I'm probably sat there for 15 minutes looking at this tree, trying to break down everything that it took. And all of a sudden it kind of hit me like more than ever, like the amount of awe and wonder that comes That's just awesome, from a specific dude. tree. Very cool. So I hear the same kind of thing that you're saying when you when you talk about like salvation by faith, you can break that down into the entire Bible narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. You know what's cool about here reading Heschel? He's before the internet. 
he's before computers. You know, he's writing. And, and, and so people might think, oh, it's social media's fault, you know, that I'm numb, right? Or there's too much information because of the internet. Or, and, and it's like, no, this pro- the problem of the human heart, of the, the uncircumcised heart, you know what I mean? And the thickness and the, uh, all that, that, uh, that battle goes all the way back. You want to actually get into the, uh, somebody yeah, asked, Joseph asks not to get off topic. Can you direct me to resources on the Mamra? We're already <laughs> off topic. We're already off topic. <laughs> um, who was it? Uh, what did he say? The Mamra? The, the Mamra, yeah. Who's the, uh, unbelieving. Oh, boy. Daniel yeah, Boyarin. Daniel Boyarin. Yeah, yeah, there's an article. Look up Daniel Boyarin's uh, work on, on it. Online. Oh, yeah, you know what? The book. Uh... It's really good, and it's free. I think I think you can get it on online. And it he, he shows that uh, the idea of the Mamre, and for those who don't know what that is, John uses the same concept. The word became flesh. In I, Here's a good book. If you get the used copy of Borderlines. Right. Uh, Daniel Boyarin. Right. Um, I think this one has a chapter. But anyway, basically, the the, the concept... Not that I endorse... I, I mean... Right. Yeah, this is the, the reason. That, the, the reason that Boyarin, who's not a believer, is so vital to that conversation is because he shows, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, that the idea that the word was God's word but was separate in form was... Uh, was seen as separate, in other words, as a uh, acting of its own volition, separate from God, but and, God's and the, word right, right, before right. Christ came. Can we spell it? Um, B-O-Y. And Peter Schaefer has a has a brand new boy, boy, uh, I don't know. book out. Okay. Um, let's get to some... some Real matters on Messiah matters. Okay, my dad jokes are on point. Okay, Evelyn writes and she says, "What exactly is the old covenant?" I've been raised with the with an oversimplified view, where the old covenant is the Old Testament, and with the old covenant being abolished, we're now New Testament, New Covenant believers. Meanwhile, I've also been told the old covenant is specifically the Mosaic Law, and that it, it too is abolished. Where does that leave the covenants with Noah, Abraham, and David if the Mosaic is taken away? So could you please define from Scripture what is the Old Covenant? Well, we can define... It's hard to define from Scripture what the Old Covenant is simply because it's only used one time in, in the entire Apostolic Scripture. Yeah, Paul, Paul uses it in passing. In Second Corinthians. Uh, yeah, Second Corinthians. Um, but he, he talks about... Um, I think a word study. I'm not big on word studies, but I think a word study on the word on how Paul uses old is in order for this question. I would say that the old covenant is any time a person tries to have a relationship with God without Christ, and I think that that's how Paul would define it as well. Um, the old covenant and the new covenant are exactly the same, except for the new covenant is through faith in the Messiah and his work on the cross as uh, and, and which in turn gives us the Holy Spirit, which in turn writes the covenant on our heart. In Deuteronomy, God tells Israel, you shall write this covenant on your heart. 
you shall put it on your heart. But in Jeremiah, the new covenant, it's the exact same covenant, but what's the difference? There's two differences. First of all, God will write the new covenant on the heart, not man. So, or the, right, the Torah, the new, the terms to be more precise, even is to say Jeremiah communicates some of you know the terms of the new covenant, right? One of which is the right God will write the Torah on the hearts of his people. Yeah. Um, the second thing in the new covenant is that it's not the, called a new Torah, right? In other words, right? Yes. Um, the second difference with the new covenant from the old covenant is that God's people will keep it. Yeah. And the, and the only way that we're able to keep it is through Christ. Paul we talks new creations. Right. In Paul talks the about core, this in back Romans. to the seed, the core, the core intent of our new person in Messiah is, is Abba father is the desire to obey and seek God's kingdom first in all things. Right. That's the that's the core identity. If you could boil down the core identity that we all share as new creations in Messiah, it's it's that exactly what you just said, Caleb. It's a desire to first above all things walk in his ways. Out of but but not as not out of hypocrisy. It's not there's no whiff of hypocrisy or or uh pride or arrogance or because it's out of the accurate picture of total depravity that without that i mean it, it, it's all about messiah and i'm excited about this line of thing because i hope we get into this john owens quote that i was really loving on yeah anyway, go ahead um sorry I, no no no. it's totally fine i i think one of the big differences between i would say the entire staff at torah resource oh by the way i forgot to put up our producers i'm so sorry and oh that reminds me okay hang on just a sec um one of the big differences is that we think that the Old and New Covenant are not time-bound. In other words, Abraham, before the Torah was even written by Moses, Abraham was part of the New Covenant. And we see this in Galatians because Paul uses Abraham as the um, as the, the model of salvation by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're part of the Old Covenant, you're trying to do it on your own without Christ. If you're part of the New Covenant, you're doing it through faith in Christ. With that said... Uh, we have a new producer credit up on Torah Resource. So go to the Messiah Matters page on Torah Resource, and then um, you can find our new producer credit. And there's a new mug for our producers. Here are our current producers. Next week we will have our new producers up for the uh, spring quarter. Exciting. Very exciting. And, and this time... Uh, Michael used a, instead of I love New York, he used that, the I love New York, but I love MM. Oh, nice. I, I got to get the the McDonald dishes one too. Can I read it before we leave that second Corinthians? I pulled it up here. Yeah, go for it. I love this. Now I'm reading the NASB. Yep. But second Corinthians three, and then starting with 14, their minds were hardened mm. for unto this day, um, Unto this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In, in this context, another way you can understand, it just means ancient. The ancient it, it means in the, the, it's the, the ancient, it's an ancient text that's being right. read. 
and there's two people sitting there reading it. One person uh, is in darkness and they're reading it and interpreting it for their life. And the other person has the light of, of the resurrected Messiah in their heart. And they read the same text, but they, they see it glorifying Yeshua. So there, there's, it's the, a change of the inner person. Back to Caleb mentioning uh, uh, Jeremiah 31. It's a change of the inner person that is worked by heaven, right? It's, it's on God. God's the one who acts first in that, you know. Um, and that's, that's a thing where, you know, because we uphold what, what we call the doctrines of grace, we're going to differ in, in describing that and talking about that than someone who says that they believe, you know, that this is, you know, they choose God, they chose God, you know, right. no, I chose God and I could, I could unchoose God at any time, you know, or, or any kind of, of a workspace salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Back to justification by faith. Right. Exactly. Um, somebody asked because of the title, are you going to talk about Justin with CT? CT stands for Christian truthers. I don't know if everybody saw that video. It was, I mean, it was so sad to see such unlearned and unstudied people attempt to <laughs> navigate the Bible. Uh, and it shows what not ha- having uh, not having good leaders will do to a person. Uh, basically, uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, Justin put out a, uh, from Christian Truthers, uh, which is a YouTube channel, he put out a video saying that uh, Paul, all of Paul's writings are not, not to be trusted and that he was, a, uh, that he was not a, a true apostle. Um, it shows... It shows uh, It's a blind leading the blind. Yeah, Whoever exactly. he's listening to right. is blind. So not only is he blind, he's following someone who's blind, and Yeshua says, what's going to happen? They're all, they're all going to fall in the pit together. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, Yeshua, it's, I'm laughing because Yeshua made it such a clever little cartoon image you know i mean even kids would give that they'll get that they'll go oh yeah if a blind person's leading a bunch of blind people they're going to fall into the pit and the kids are going to laugh and they're going to chuckle because of the silliness of the picture yeshua being our master teacher he knows that and he gives us these simple ways of of describing that i mean the same thing could be said for you know these these kind of people are running rampant and I think it's due to social media and or YouTube and the everybody's being given a, a microphone to be able to say whatever they want. Yeah. And you know what they start doing? They want to start building a house right away. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you're not on, if you don't have the foundation, if you don't have the solid ground, then you shouldn't build a house. You should keep digging. Keep digging until you get to the rock. This is in Luke, Luke 13. And then you build the foundation, then you build the house. But you don't just go out there and start building a house. And that's you're just going to see a bunch of houses that people started building and then they all fall over. Well, and, I mean, I mean, even, you know, Sean from uh, Kingdom in Context. And I mean, all those guys that kind of run in the same circle. It's just sad. It's really, really sad because there's just such ignorance. And it's I mean, I know, think it's a th- lack of a lack of back to your thing about awe. It's a lack of it's a lack of honoring education too it's a lack of honoring that god has been faithful in every generation to raise up leaders i think we're going to talk about john owen in a little bit but that's not where we got the name of this show by the way Uh, let me just we'll we'll give a little teaser for when we get into john owen this is where we got the title the second way by the way i think that if john owen were alive today 
all these guys like Justin over or at Christian Truthers, Sean at at uh, um, Kingdom in Context. I mean, all, the list could go on of all these internet teachers. Um, I think that John Owen would say that they were of, of Satan. He says the second way whereby Satan attempted the same end, and he's talking about the n- denial of the deity of the Messiah, and yet continueth so to do, was by pernicious errors and heresies. For all the heresies wherewith the church was assaulted and uh, pestered for some centuries of years were oppositions unto their faith in the person of Christ. So, I mean, that's where we got the, we're going to talk about John Owen and this chapter. And by the way, for those who, um, who get our show notes, there's a link. I made a PDF of this chapter of John Owen's work. I put it up on uh, the internet and I gave you a link in your show notes so you can follow along. You can read it yourself. Okay. Um, let's go over to this question of divorce. This is a good one. Evelyn called in. No, was it Evelyn? No, I'm sorry. It was not Evelyn. I forget who called in. I, I so apologize. Um, anyway, this is what she said. Several weeks ago, I was talking with some friends, and they were talking about divorce. One of them said that Moses was divorced because it says he sent his wife away. Then another person said yes, and also... Abraham was in different places and Sarah wasn't with him. So I think they were either separated or divorced. Maybe it was over the binding of Isaac. I don't believe that. But I just wanted your thoughts on these two issues. Okay, so divorce in the Torah itself is an interesting topic. It, I think, would certainly be argued by many that Abraham divorced Hagar when he sent her away. Now, I don't think that that's the case. And the reason why is because Abraham took her as his wife, but I don't think it was a legitimate marriage. And so I think that's why God tells Abraham to send her away. I, and this is one of the passages that I actually use to... Um, you know, for a very long time, I wondered whether or not the Bible actually spoke against polygamy or not. And uh, I struggled with that for a really long time. I'm very convinced now and solidly and very convinced that the Bible specifically speaks against divorce. This is actually one of the places that I go to to show it. Um, the marriage of Abraham to Hagar was not a legitimate marriage. And this is why I believe God says to send her away. Because I don't think that God endorses polygamy. Um, but to say that he wasn't married to, uh, you know, that Abraham divorced, or even Moses divorced. Um, and, uh, well, let's just go to this because... Can we start there first? Can yeah. we start at the ex- Exodus 18? Yeah, so uh, let's read the, the context. We'll read through verse... Well, one through three. One through three. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, or sent her away is actually, I believe, what the Hebrew says, along with her two sons. 
The name of the one was Gershom, for he is said, I for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And go. Um so the the actual phrase there, it's verse two. It's this I guess we'd go into the Hebrew, but it's Jethro, uh, the father-in-law of Moses, took Zipporah, right? And then verse 3 continues the list, and her two sons. So Jethro is the subject of the verb he took, beginning at verse 2, and it covers both verse 2 and verse 3. This uh, uh, relative clause here where it says... Achar uh, shilucheha, which means after her shiluchim, after her shiluchim is what it what it would mean. And then your question is, what is shiluchim? One thing it can't be it can't mean divorce just by the sentence because she's still called Eshet Moshe. Right, exactly. She's still called the wife of of Moses. So. So Jethro took the wife wife of Moses after her Shiluchim. Well, if Shiluchim was divorce, it wouldn't say Jethro took the wife of Moses. It would say Moses' former life, former wife, not former life. <laughs> I'm not into uh, reincarnation. Um, former wife, right? Yeah. So um, Shiluchim here probably means something along like a dowry or some sort of... Um, uh, provision that Moshe set up for her and the two sons. And this, the, the phrase is used in first Kings nine. I don't know, Caleb, if you looked this up, but it's taught at, uh, first Kings nine 16, it says, um, this has to do with King Solomon and you know how he created, he married different women and stuff. It says Pharaoh, the King of Egypt had gone up and captured Gezer, burned it with fire killed the Canaanites who lived in the city and had given it as dowry, as Shilohim, to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So here again, you have, it's it's something given that has to do with a marriage. This is not the same, even though it's from the same Shoresh, Shin Lamed Chet, that we have for divorce, it in no way means divorce. And that the only other place, so it occurs three times, Exodus 18, 1 Kings 9, and then in Micah chapter 1, which is still some sort of gift. It's given in terms with the verb natan, to give. It's something that is given. It is not the same as a sefer uh, kritut, which is a, that the, what Deuteronomy describes as a, a divorce, a writ of divorce. So um, that's that's all I have to say about that. Um. So I, I, I got to stop because there's a YouTube person who comes into our chat room and leaves messages on, on our videos quite often named Kingdom of the Son of God. And for some reason, this person thinks that our channel is the channel to challenge people on the reformers. And I don't know why this person thinks that we're the, the channel to come to. Um, but it's <laughs> yeah. kind of ridiculous. You're not going to get much traction here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know um, I mean? he, he asks, 
Um, he or she asks, why, uh, many of the reformers were murderers. Why would anyone listen to them? And I said, the reformers were sinners just like us. And many reformers were burned at the stake. Exactly. Also. And for, uh, for they, were sa- they were saved by grace just like us. Paul was a murderer. Why would you listen to him? King David was a murderer. Exactly. And he says, Paul repented. Did Martin Luther, Ulrich, Zwingli, and John Calvin after murdering and or murdering the Anabaptist? Yes, actually, John Calvin, uh, I mean, he seems to be very torn about um, his part in that. Uh, Martin Luther, yeah, I mean, I admit, why would God use a person like Martin Luther? The question is not of, of the, I mean, God used Balaam, right? The question is not about whether or not these people were sinners or not. Of course they were sinners. The question is, is did God use them? And the answer in my mind is obviously yes. They changed the, the course of the world and pretty much they, they changed the course of of the the church in a way that has afforded America and the rest of the world today a change so great that we to all actually have the Bible yeah. in print on a shelf in your house in multiple languages. I'm gonna guess that, that is that they, not a function of Armenians, right? I'm gonna guess that the kingdom of the Son of God enjoys a uh, a sitting down and reading their uh, English Bible. So you can thank. The reformers for that, um, and and if you're so against the reformers, why don't you put your Bible away and not read it? Since that's a product of the reformers. Yeah, where are you going to get the idea of canon? Well, they well here's the thing though. Well, Enoch should be in there. Jubilee should be in there. Um, Didache. I don't know. Just yeah. Now you now you what you're doing is you're presuming to to lead a charge up a hill and you're going to, you're calling other people to join you and you're going to get up to the top of the hill and it's going to be a giant cliff and you're going to fall over and you're going to take a bunch of people with you. Right. Um, that, normally, normally I try not to respond to things that are so off topic, but I, I hope that that, uh, you know, I hope that puts, puts this to rest. If you want to, I'll tell you what, when you get rid of all the English Bibles in your house, then come and talk to me and we'll talk more. Okay. Um, well, here's the other thing is where are you going to learn, you know, learning Hebrew and Greek? You know, are you going to are you going to learn those languages? It's the, the reform tradition is is what has really promoted and made that an important anchor. Right. Even though later, uh, you know, Armenian theologians, etc., benefit from those labors, <laughs> you know, they kind of take. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, the fact that we aren't reading the Vulgate right now, you mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, back to divorce. Sorry about that. Um, back to divorce. Yeah, so it, it, it's it's uh, my personal... Exodus 18, too, is not talking about divorce. Moses did not divorce Zipporah. Right. And not only that, but I would, I would have to say that um, I don't think that we see divorce... I mean, certainly. I mean, even even the patriarchs were were sinners, right? We know that. There's no doubt about that. Judaism tries to erase that fact, right? 
within the rabbis and uh, Jewish tradition, what they try to do is say, no, that the patriarchs never didn't sin, essentially. I mean, they don't come out and say that, but they try to kind of wash away all of the bad that is done by the patriarchs. Um, but I, I don't see it that way. If there is divorce from one of these men, which I don't believe there is, I don't believe that the text ever uh, alludes to the fact that there is divorce, except for Abraham and Hagar. But once again, I don't. Uh, God tells uh, Abraham to send her away. Why? Because I don't think it was a legitimate marriage, and I think I think God still saw it as um, adultery, which is why He tells her to send it away, send her away. Um, besides that, I don't think that we see divorce among these men. Okay. Should we get into, uh, let's, let's do it. Let's jump into John, to John Owen. Um, I've been reading John Owen now for about a week and a half, two weeks. I just read about two pages a day. I try to read every single day. And, um, I have to say, dude is on point. I mean, I've never, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, in all of my studying, I have never gotten around to reading John Owen. And um, I have to say, it's, it's, it, I, I've only gotten a couple chapters into his first volume. And I'm ashamed to say that I haven't read more. He is, I mean, I see why he is such a, a juggernaut among basically everyone. What was the, do you have the quote from, um, what's his name that preaches with Ligonier on Joe, John Owen? You gave it to me the other day. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was oh. so good. Let me find it. Let me find it. Um, basically, I just closed it. let me set this up while while um, Van Hoff looks for this. Um, and by the way, oh, you know, I'm, I don't know where I am today. I, I Lois said it earlier. I'm stir crazy. She can tell. Uh, call our comment line 253-465-3205. Oh, here it is. Two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Hang on, uh, shoot us email chag at torresource dot com. Chag at torresource dot com. Okay, go ahead. Ferguson, right? There's two. Uh, there's two I want to cite. Actually, there's two from Sinclair Ferguson, but there's one from J.I. Packer. Um, the first from Ferguson says to read John Owen is to enter a rare world. Whenever I return to one of his works, I find myself asking. Why do I spend time reading lesser literature? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and then J.I. Packer writes, I owe more to John Owen than to any other theologian, ancient or modern. And I owe more to the book, The Mortification of Sin, than to anything else he wrote. So, uh, And pa Packer himself is a juggernaut. Yeah. I owe a lot of my theological standing to the work that J.I. Packer has done. I mean, here's, here's what, what, one more. By, okay. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Go one more. One more. Give me one more. Oh, it, it's uh, um, J.I. Packer. For solidity, profundity, massiveness, and majesty in exhibiting from Scripture God's ways with sinful mankind, there is no one to touch him. That's J.I. Packer talking about John Owen. By the way, so, uh, for those who m might be new to this, new to this, new to this show, new to this show, um, to the show. I, I've talked about this many times, but I owe turning from uh, Arminian theology to the doctrines of grace. I owe that. Uh, well, I owe it to the Lord, but the but uh, the Lord used J.I. Packer as the match that 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 lit that fire. Um, 
it, yeah. yeah. I, I have great respect for, for Packer. Okay, um, so let's talk a little bit about this first volume. In chapter one, he talks about, he starts out by setting up a case against the Catholic Church, okay? Now, remember, he's writing in the 1600s, I believe, and um, he is, so the Reformation is in full swing at this point, okay? And of course, everyone is fighting Rome. Everyone's fighting the Catholic Church. And John Owen now is going to jump on board with this as well. Owen starts by talking about, and basically he's going to pull the legs out from underneath the Pope. And the way that he does that is he goes to, what is it, Matthew 16, 16? Or is it 18, 18? It's a double number. Oh, let's, oh look, golly. let's look at them both. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's at the... Um, Matthew 18. Who do, who do you say that I like? 18. Who the men say that I am? <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth. Yeah, so it's in 18. Uh, I think. Okay. Awesome. Let's see here. No, maybe it's not. 17. No, it's not in 17. It's not. Okay. Let's go to 16. I don't have it. 16, 16. I didn't look it up, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's 16. He says, uh, he says Matthew 16, 13. Um, it oh. says, Now when uh, Yeshua came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, who do the people say the, that the son of God, uh, the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon right, Peter right. replied, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Yeshua answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for bl- flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter or Petros, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, obviously, um, anyone who's familiar with with uh, any Catholic theology knows that this passage is used to to uh, show the authority of the Pope. Basically, they say Peter was the first Pope, and that um, he is this rock that the church is built on. And it's not actually Peter himself, but it's the office of Pope that the church is built on. And this is why the Pope has such um, massive power, is because they see the, the office of the Pope having the word of, uh, basically what he speaks is the word of God. It actually kind of became a political office, right? Absolutely. Like, like president. Yeah. And then different people could... You know, corrupt people could uh, manipulate power to get in that speech, into that position, so that they could then do their agenda. Actually, the history on the Pope is is really a very interesting one because there was kind of question within the Catholic Church itself on whether or not the Pope was had was speaking the word of God. In other words, can the Pope err? Was one of the the questions. And then another one of the questions was, can the, can the councils err? Now, this comes down into uh, Luther, who famously pronounced that not only could uh, councils err, but the Pope could err as well. Which was, by the time Luther proclaimed this at the uh, Diet of Worms, this was a massive, not just heresy, it was, it was against church and state. Uh, the fact that he didn't lose his life was literally a miracle from God. 
Um, with that being said, um, yeah, and then we have the Great Schism too, don't we? Does everyone know what the Great Schism is? I love, I love this kind of history. Actually, uh, my class on on church history at Torah Resource was uh, perhaps one of my favorite. The Great Schism is when uh, there was a pope at Avignon, and then there was a pope in Rome, and um, both places didn't like the other's pope, so they both declared their pope to be the correct and right pope. And what do you have? You have two popes. Um, this is kind of a, and actually we almost see the same kind of thing happen in our modern day, right? I don't know if you've, uh, Netflix did a movie called The Two Popes or Two Popes or something like that. I heard about that, but I have not watched it. Well, it's 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 supposed to be a, uh, you know, the modern day, uh, the last pope who stepped down. So he steps down and this new pope comes in. Well, the question that is kind of asked is, can a pope, if he is the mouth mouthpiece of God, can he actually step down from the office? In other words, he's still technically pope. So technically right now, since he's not dead, even though he's not in the office of pope, he's still pope. So you have, you kind of have two popes right now. Now, this is not what happened with the Great Schism. In the Great Schism, what happened, you had two popes that both claimed the office of pope, both said that they were the mouthpiece of God, and both rejected the other one. And so in the Catholic Church, what you had was people saying, we don't know who to follow. The French people in Avignon were following their pope, and the people in Rome were following their pope. And so they're both making decrees, they're both you know, making uh, rulings and whatnot. Which one's right? And eventually what actually happened is they tried to elect a new pope and unite, which brought what? A third pope. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Yikes. Um, Anyway, so with all this being said, what does John Owen say in his first chapter, in his first volume? This is a brilliant. This is so brilliant. Um, He says, okay, the thing that that Yeshua says he will build his, he says, um, and Yeshua answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Petros, and on this rock, what is this rock? It is the declaration you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what John Owen says. It's not Peter. It's not an office. It's his declaration that Christ is that, that Yeshua is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what the church is built on. That's what the ecclesia is built on. I think he's absolutely right. Um, and I think that uh, it's just absolutely fantastic. Okay. So now with all of that said, now he in chapter two, and that's what we're looking at. That's what I uploaded for everyone was chapter two of his work. Um, what we're looking at now is kind of where Owen is going to go after he proclaims this revelation, in my opinion, of this passage in Matthew 16. Now, how do we want to do this? Because uh, we could do this multiple ways. Basically, what he's talking about, and I, I alluded to this earlier, let's read it again, the second way whereby Satan attempted the same end, and yet continueth so to do was by pernicious errors and heresies. And what he's talking about is the attempt to break down the ecclesia. In other words, Christ says that he'll build his ecclesia on this rock. This rock is, in fact, this declaration 
that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And how is Satan going to try to, to tear that down? Yeah, by trying to trying to get people to look look the other way, or like look for, or getting people to imagine that there's other ways to approach God and to bring in heresies, right? Yeah, I mean that's what that's what Owen is saying here. The funny thing about this is that he talks about some of the exact same heresies that we see today. It's unbelievable. Okay, you you want to go tit for tat? Well, here, there was one. I wanted to find a passage. I want to say it's in, is it 1 Corinthians? Um, well, not only not only 1 Corinthians, but Ephesians. But uh, he talks about that Yeshua is the foundation, right? Right. And he's also the, the cornerstone. Right. So this... this Here's the one I was thinking of, specifically 1 Corinthians 3, 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That this is just Paul using the same metaphor of the building of the ecclesia is, right. is upon this confession. Paul doesn't say on Peter's authority. Right. He doesn't say, I mean, that would have been a perfect opportunity for Paul to say, no one can lay a foundation other than what is laid, which is... Uh, St. Peter and his authority of the Pope, papacy, right? Yeah, that's, that's obviously not, uh, not accurate. So we should, should we go back to that real quick? We should, we should also say one of the things that Owen goes on to note, and he's right, is that in 21, right after he declares that uh, Peter, you know, you know, you are Petros and upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, is uh, he says uh, from the time, uh, blah, blah. Oh, it's, I'm sorry, it's in, 20, uh, it's in 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. There you go. That If, it, if you didn't understand it the first time, <laughs> if you didn't understand it, you know, where he says, I, upon this rock, uh, by the time you get to that verse, <laughs> it yeah, should exactly. be clear. Because it's like, Oh, he must not be talking about Peter as a person. I want to talk about this. So I got a quote for you right here. Is this, this also from Owen? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, this is on page 40. He says, um, well, I got to go back a little bit so you get the idea of what he's talking about. But that the Son of God assumed our nature into personal substance with himself, whereby whole Christ was one person. And all his mediatory acts were the acts of that one person, of him, who was both God and man. This they would not acknowledge. Now he's talking about those who are fighting against the church. And this pernicious imagination, though it seem to make great concessions of truth, doth no less effectually avert the foundation of the church than the former. For if the divine and human nature of Christ did not constitute one individual person, all that he did for us was only as a man, which would have been altogether insufficient for the salvation of the church, nor had God redeemed it with his own blood. This seems to be the opinion of some amongst us at this day about the person of Christ. They acknowledge the being of the eternal word, the Son of God, and they allow in the like manner the, ver the ver verity of his human nature or own that man, Christ Jesus. Only they say that the eternal word was in him and with him. 
in the same kind as it is with other believers, but in a supreme degree of manifestation and power. So this is exactly what we hear from people who deny the deity of the Messiah. And we, I mean, even, uh, I, I already mentioned Sean from Kingdom in Context. Um, this is the same kind of thing that I believe he, he is saying, which is that Yeshua was created and that he is given this special office and that he has the spirit of, of God in him, maybe more or, or uh, more extreme than any other believer. But thou, though in these things there is a great endeavor to put a new color and appearance on old imaginations, <laughs> the design of Satan is one and the same in them all. That is, to oppose the building of the church upon, the, upon its proper soul foundation. Let's break that down for a second. Yeah, it's like you go back to the passage from Matthew. They're like, well... You know, is he Elijah? Is he Jeremiah? Is he one right. of the prophets? Right. In other words, is he just another prophet? Well, we know that that's what Islam ends up doing. Islam ends up following that heretical thread and trying to mix it with other stuff to say, oh, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. But he all that means is he was just another prophet like Jonah and Noah. You know, he was just in the long line of prophets. But he's not the son of God. God doesn't have a son. But right? this is that's, this is somewhere in, he talks about. He calls them the Mohammedans. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's on page that's forty-one. Like, what's cool? This is seven. Here's another thing for you homeschooling families: getting your kids reading seventeenth-century like Puritan uh, theology, like in English. It's gonna their their vocabulary is gonna expand i mean it's i think it's good for the mind for that purpose alone because just like you could tell when if you haven't read it yet but you'd listen to caleb reading through that it it's such a rich use of the english language and that's you know 17th oh, century i, I stumble yeah i stumble over it there's no doubt about it i mean there, it's good stuff. but honestly if you if you stop and think about what he's saying you know, and once you read a couple of pages, you kind of get into his rhythm yeah, and, yeah, and you get, whatnot, exactly. and, and all of a sudden you're, you, you know, you can read it and understand exactly what he's saying. Um, yeah, I think but, it'd be good for homeschoolers for that purpose too. But but basically, my point is, and we see it even in the chat room right now. Um, you know, you got heretics who are saying that Yeshua is not eternal. You have heretics saying that Yeshua is not Yod Vave. You have heretics saying that. I mean, the list goes on. Where is this coming from? It's the, it, John Owen says it perfectly. It's the same old heresy. Since Christ was on earth, Satan has used these people to try to come against his, the believers and, and the truth of, of the gospel. Uh, he pulls no punches, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, it's good, good stuff. Okay, you want to go? Well, you know, like... but hang on just a sec. You know, I want to bring I want to bring this in too. There's multiple ways that this is going on in our in our time today. We have the we have the uh, the degrading of the Almighty God in in Yeshua, right? And we have the great degrading of the Scriptures, the sixty six book canon. And this is you know it's like uh, people playing Django. J- jangle J- Django how do you how do you say that? anyway know, you know you pull know. you pull the one with this yeah yeah you pull the pieces of wood out it's like how many pieces of wood can I pull out before the Bible is gone and Satan has done his work 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay, go ahead. Do you have another one? There's just good. This just good stuff in here. It's hard to like. It's hard to like cut out <laughs> a section because it's so richly woven with what comes before and after. Um, but I'll just cut in here. This is on page 36 of the of the scan. Uh, reproaches, contempt, scorn, false and lying accusations by his by his suggestions, meaning by Satan's, were heaped on him, meaning on Yeshua, on every hand. Hereby, in the whole course of his ministry, he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself, which is Hebrews 12, 3. And there is herein blessed provision made of inestimable consolation. This is, I love this, inestimable consolation. He's talking about this, this uh, theological nugget here from Hebrews 12. For all those who are predestined to be conformed unto his image, also from scripture, when God shall help them by faith to make use of his example, he calls them to take up his cross and follow him. And he hath showed them what is in it by his own bearing of it. Yeshua didn't, is not asking his disciples to do anything that he didn't do. And that this just hit me to the core. Uh, in other words, Yeshua bore the cross. And he, and he says, take yours and follow me. And then it goes on. He says, contempt, reproach, despiteful usage, calumnies, false accusations, restings of his words, blasphemies of his doctrine, reviling of his person, all that he said and, and did as as to his principles about human government and moral conversation encompassed him all his days. And he hath assured his followers that such and no other, at least for the most part, shall be their lot in this world. And some in all ages have an experience of it in an eminent manner, but have, uh, but have they reason to complain? Question mark. In other words, am I complaining because I'm being, you know, false accusations and despiteful usage. He says, do I have something? He says, why should the servant look for better measure than the, uh, than the master met with all? In other words, and Yeshua said that, you know, what you, if they did this to me, you know, don't expect they're going to pave a a golden path for you. You know, anyway, that was a, that was one of the verses that just, uh, I, I totally see Ferguson's and Packer's statements. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's the same thing for me um you know when he when he talks about and i'm, I'm going to get the quote wrong but basically christ isn't asking you to do anything he hasn't done in other words he died on on the right. cross <laughs> right so if you're going to be persecuted he's not asking you to you of you anything that he hasn't already endured um that's right that's right i think of i think of because i was talking with someone about homosexuality recently. And for some reason that that quote made me think of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor evil uh, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit 
of our God. The, the thing that I notice about this passage is that these are all lifestyles, right? They're all they're all ways that they're all they're, they're ways that people can be defined. In other words, this person makes this a part of their life. And one of the things that really struck me is it's not just you know a lot of people point to this this verse this passage to say homosexuality, you know homosexuals will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But the point is is if you make sin into who you are. In other words, I'm defined as being a drunkard. I'm defined as being a thief. I'm defined as being greedy, whatever it is. In other words, we give up the lifestyle that we are, we are so, you know, basically sin is our lifestyle and we have to give up who we are in order to follow Christ. That's the point. Okay. Um, let's see here. You got another one or you want me to go? Um, well, I have one other one. Go for it. Uh, the, the other one is, I think I highlighted it on my thing here, is on page 42. <clears throat> and uh, it's, it's where he says, you know, scandalously proposed and answered, of what use is the consideration of the person of Christ in our religion? <clears throat> and he says, uh, such are the novel inquiries of men who suppose there is anything in Christian religion wherein the person of Christ is of no consideration, right. as though it were not the life and soul that animates the whole of it. Um, and he goes on, and, and this this reminded me in ways where people, like back to the, is 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 the Messiah yod So what, what people will do <clears throat> is you'll say, okay, I'll pretend, I'll forget the gospel. Like, forget everything I know from the gospel. I'm just going to go, to the Tanakh, and I'm going to try to understand who yod is, and then I'm going to come up with a picture, and then I'll reintroduce the gospel information, and then I'll just do my own comparison. Right. Right? And that's, <laughs> that's, that is the person who, that's what Paul's talking about, the people who still have a veil over there, like, right. like they're, they're still in darkness, and they're trying to compare things they don't understand with things they don't understand. And this is going to be blindly in the blind. It's it, it's the new being born anew, right? Being born from above in Yeshua, whereby we then come to the scriptures already with the light of Messiah guiding us. We don't it, we don't hold it at a distance. Do our own personal calculations, right? Um, and then evaluate whether we really think Yeshua is who he says he is, you know? Yeah. Um, so good. Good stuff. I mean, there's so much that we, I, there's basically the way, the reason that we are even talking about this is because Rob and I, I just read a passage out of this and we were going to read the whole passage. And then Rob said, let's just read favorite passage because it was really long actually. Oh golly. Well, and the, the language is so rich. We'd have to pause and comment on every. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, we're going to do but the point is that this is not like, like we read the, you know, the quote from Sinclair Ferguson or J.I. Packer and our, both Caleb's and my enthusiasm for this is this is not, it's not scripture. This is liter This is literature of a person who's devoted their life into wrestling with the contemporary issues of heresy, of the doctrines of grace, of insisting that insisting on that always reforming right because what 
if we think now, Caleb, you're much more fluent with reform history than I am, but my understanding is that John Owen's coming out of the situation that where, where the church of England still is trapped with Catholic, um, you know, this Puritans, in other words, right? It's like, we need to press on with the core principles of the reformation and not get locked into these traditions of men. And so we're reading someone who in the 17th century is using language that we read, right? English. We don't have to translate it from another language. We can read it and ponder it. And it is deeply, deeply engaged with the core principles of the doctrines of grace. And it is thereby, in my opinion, and it looks like we're in good company, nourishing. It's, it's nourishing. But it is not, obviously it is not scripture. It is only nourishing because it is pointing us back to scripture. Right. Yeah. It's pointing to Messiah. And uh, anyway, that's just another little comment I thought would be helpful. Yeah, and you know, I, I looked online. You can get all of John, you can get the complete works of John Owen for 300 bucks. New. And much um, of it is available in public domain. Yeah, too. a ton of it is available online. And the reason that I actually started reading John Owen was because I was about to do an interview with um, Dr. Dustin Benj, which I did last week. It got published on uh, Growing in Messiah on Monday. I would highly encourage everyone to go over to Growing in Messiah and uh, look at the um, the interview that I did with Dr. Dustin Bench, he talks about, he just wrote a new book um, titled The American Puritans, which comes out in May. And uh, talking to him was super fun because he has a knowledge of this stuff that I, I have never even touched on. Um, and basically before that interview, I thought, well, you know, I should probably get acquainted with some of the Puritans. Well, I walked into the library and... I didn't find Puritans first. Instead, I found the complete works of John Owen first. And I thought, you know what? I have, I've never read John Owen. Let's crack this open and just see you know, what he has to say. I started reading the first page, and instantaneously I was hooked. And I haven't been able to, you know, I, I love picking, up, picking it up and, and uh, reading it. And so it's become a staple every day to sit down and read a couple pages of John Owen. But... Uh, uh, Cool. You know, there's there's other ones. Jonathan Edwards actually is is another one that is just dynamite. Now he is a Puritan, kind of. Uh, he's a Puritan, and um, his work is also just unbelievable. Um, but I would highly recommend if you've never read John Owen, go pick up a, a volume of John Owen. You can find a lot of his stuff in the public domain. You can find him at the library. You can find him all over the place, and you can go to the used bookstore and probably pick up at least one of his books, if not the entire thing for Yeah, for if you're ever cheap. in a secondhand bookstore or a, and you see the whole set, Grab you, it. you might be able to score the whole, you know, right. the whole collection for next to nothing. And I'm not saying that everything that Owen is going to say is going to be right. Don't hear me say that. All I'm saying is, is that these guys, they have a huge amount of knowledge. They spent their lives in the scriptures and... A lot of what we believe today in the modern Christian church was set up by the study of these guys, and one of the one of the problems is is that 
we today don't read these these works, and so we're not familiar. You know, you I know, Caleb. This reminds me back to this idea of our like Torah Resource Institute, for example. We engage with larger scholarship, but we we very much see ourselves as benefiting from the heritage of of reform scholarship and um and just and just larger scholarship even if it's not considered you know reform um we we see ourselves as beneficiaries of great minds that went before us and so like i mean for example i teach bible languages right we use grammars that were produced by other believers you know we um and we are thankful for those. And those those grammars that we use, whether it's Dr. Mounts or Dr. Van Pelt or, you know, whoever, those were produced by scholars that had learned from other scholars, right? right? So you get someone says, oh, you know, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilee should be in the Bible. And you're just traditions of men, you know, those are just men. And it's like, you know, that you're building a house out of cardboard on this beach. Right. And you have no concept of wind or tide. Right. And you're and fast forward, it's gonna be gone. And you're gonna be naked and back to back to the bare necessities again, you know. And uh, that's just the nature of the deal. And and so does it mean that when we, we are grateful and, and we are heirs and recipients, happy recipients of this heritage, that we accept every single bit of it? No, we're we're we too have a well hey we're in a new historical time so our our the sinful nature hasn't changed but the specific environment has changed and so there are challenges so we have to take and take every thought captive to messiah and continue the project of building by god's grace because it's yeshua building it's yeshua building ecclesia um anyway Okay, we're going to put, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put the, uh, the a link to the show notes up on our Messiah Matters page on Torah Resource by the end of day. So check it, cool. uh, check it uh, within, I'll try to do it within the next hour. So that way, because we already have two people who have asked for show notes, um, we'll put it up there and then people can go and download uh, what they need to. The, the reason that we haven't done a page with pre- past show notes is because nor- right now our show notes is more of a reminder that our show is going to happen. And... The reason I haven't stopped doing that is because basically if we don't send out show notes, we will, you know, a couple of people will come into the chat chat room. If we send out show notes, a ton do. Um, And so, but I'd like to actually change that. I'd like to change it so the show notes, like there's a reminder that the show is going to happen, but then the show notes actually happen, uh, come out after the show. And uh, what I really want is to put timestamps in them and to put links and stuff like that. So it's like real show notes. Um, I just haven't had time. I'm actually rebuilding the Torah Resource Institute site right now. Um, and so that has been taking up almost all of my time. Once that's done, then hopefully, um, I will be able to focus more on things like this. Um, anyway, and yeah. Okay. Um, well, we got interesting conversations going on in the chat room. Maybe I, I have not logged in because I know that that's like a <laughs> well, that steers it's, me. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. It shows a lack of. I mean, yeah. Um, 
I won't down everybody in the chat room because there are some people who are putting up a good fight. But um, yeah, it's it's sad to see some of the the um, misinformation and the lack of knowledge that that goes on, and it bleeds out all over the place, doesn't it? Um, anyway, okay. Uh, good conversation. We're going to do a Messiah Matters more probably today, maybe tomorrow. And then I will put a link to the show notes up on the Messiah Matters page. Um, I'm not sure how this outro is going to do go right now. And the reason why is because um, <laughs> this new studio is a little bit iffy. So bear with me. All right, guys. Uh, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, because Messiah matters. 